From Vermont Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. Hello? Hi, is this Rachel? This is. Hi, Rachel. It's Mike from Digger. How are you? Hi, Mike from Digger. I'm I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing this well. is Rachel Nevitt. Um, she lives in Heinsburg so and helps run an organic farm with her husband, David Zuckerman, yeah, who you is. might know as the Vermont Lieutenant Governor. How are you feeling today? <laughs> for me, it's not even a matter of today. It's literally moment to moment. It can change drastically. Rachel has Lyme disease, and she wants to use her experience to push for better medical research around tick-borne illnesses in Vermont. I would say that I can literally feel my brain swelling, and I start to lose function. My hands turn into like T-Rex hands. They get all like cramped up and pull in. I start to get really confused and lose my speech. Sometimes it happens faster than others. It can take up to an hour or it can take five minutes before I'm paralyzed head to toe. What do you do in that situation? How do you respond? It all depends on the situation. It's, if When I used to do farmer's market more, I would just lay down on the grass and go out. And most people would just think I was asleep hmm. and walk over me. But uh, When you say go I out, am, you mean you, you, you lose consciousness? It, no, not right away. I'm okay. generally just trapped inside my body. I can't open my eyes. I can't speak. But I'm in there. And I'm aware of what's going on to some extent, but it's... It's also very strange, like sounds move at strange speeds around me. Uh, it's almost like sound is darting by really fast, like a noise will go by really fast, and then something else will go by really slowly, and so it's very kind of confusing. I usually lose consciousness, whether it's sleep or passing out, I don't really know, or if it's like some kind of seizure, I don't know. Hmm. But I usually lose consciousness at some point. But there's nothing you can do other than just to kind of let it pass? Yeah, and it does. Like the first few times it happened, we were terrified. You know, my husband carried me up to bed and left me there completely unable to move. And he thought, she's going to wake up in the morning and that's it. She's paralyzed, head to toe. But I woke up and I was like, I'm fine. Hmm. (laughs) He's like, you're fine. You feel fine. Lyme disease and other tick-borne illnesses have been on the rise in recent years. Researchers are saying 2019 could be one of the worst years on record for tick populations, and our state is uniquely at risk. Vermont is second in the country right now for their Lyme disease rate, but a lot of years it's been number one. Our reporter Ellie French has been looking at Lyme disease in Vermont. It's one of those things that it's like, okay, well, Vermont has such a small population. Vermont can be number one in certain things because of, you know, we're just so small, but that's not... It's not just a per capita effect here. Yeah. Like, it seems like it's a real It's trend. a real trend. Part of that is just the climate here is the climate that ticks really like. We're still on the northern end of the kind of Lyme range. Lyme is from Lyme, Connecticut. It's like the town that it's named for where it started. But with the climate warming, that has been moving upward. So southern Vermont right now is getting hit especially badly, but it's moving further north every year. And then also just kind of the population, the people who live in Vermont are, they're outdoorsy. They are farmers and they go hiking and The people in Connecticut aren't in the woods the same way that the people in Vermont are, so. How did the researchers that you talked to 
how do they track this kind of thing? They're really, really thorough with their research. They go to a few specific sites every year and they track like really methodically just so that from year to year, those numbers are consistent and they just track these sites and see how many ticks they're seeing. And then they test those ticks for Lyme and for, there's a whole slew of other tick-borne diseases that, you know, Vermonters are getting. And they just kind of see how those populations are changing and growing. I have seven field sites where I've been monitoring population density for the past, this is my sixth year. So we're building a long-term data set on how the populations are changing over time and space. Bill Landisman is a biology professor at Green Mountain College. I'm mostly interested in the nymphs, which are the second life stage, and they're out. This is peak nymph activity. In fact, literally right now, you're going to see, you know, between now and June 20th, you're going to see the highest densities of the year. You know, June is bad all, all around, but this you know, this stretch of days that we're in now, this is like peak, peak of the peak. Bill's research focuses on the microbial ecology of tick-borne diseases. That means he actually does DNA testing on tick samples to better understand how those diseases work. But in order to do that, he has to go collect the ticks from these sites. It's very simple. Anyone can do it. We take a square piece of denim, a white denim, so that it's easy to see the ticks. It's a, it's a one meter by one meter square. And we drag this cloth on the forest floor over a measured distance. So we'll lay out a measuring tape for 100 meters and drag uh, the cloth across the measuring tape. And so that is 100 square meters of measurement. Every, we stop every 20 meters to check the cloth and uh, look for ticks, and we count them and then store them for future, for later analysis so that, that you can determine the density of ticks. That's the number of ticks per unit area just by counting up the number of ticks you find on this measured distance. And so we're not actually counting every tick in, the, in, in a forest, of course, but we know the density, and so we can extrapolate how many ticks might be in a given area. And more importantly, we can compare tick populations from site to site. We can use that density measurement number per per unit area as a, as a way to correctly compare different sites and um, also different time periods. Got it. And I, I've kind of been hearing that this year is maybe a worse year for ticks than previous years. Is, is there validity to that? Uh, is, is that? Oh, yeah. Uh, my data is showing it. You know, I'm not done with the season, but I'm already seeing some of the highest numbers I've ever seen. And, and you know, this is in my sixth year. I started in 2014. This is going to be the highest or second highest year. I can already tell. Just yesterday, I broke a record at one of my sites. I got the highest number of ticks I had ever received. You know, it was, I, and by the way, when I, when I say that uh, it's high, even our low years are high. Okay. And you're, uh, so one of, like last year was, a, was the lowest year on, that I have in my, in my you know, six-year data set. But there, are still, there were still plenty of ticks out there. Yeah. Right. It's still very, very serious. So it's all, it's all relative. So to be honest with you, um, it's all bad. We've heard people with Lyme describe some really serious effects. Help me understand, how does a bite from a tiny insect like this lead to such drastic symptoms? Well, when we're talking about Lyme disease, a certain percentage of, of ticks in this area are carrying pathogen known as Borrelia burgdorferi. It's a bacteria, and that is the 
agent of Lyme disease. And so what happens is that if a, if a tick is carrying Borrelia burgdorferi during its blood meal, this bacterium in the tick will start to multiply to very large numbers, migrate to the salivary glands and, and into the mouth parts of the tick and then into its host, which could be an ad, you know, a white-footed mouse, deer, uh, lots of different animals, birds, or humans. And so then uh, this bacterium, when it enters a human creates an inflammation response, and that is the illness. There, there's so many different ways that bacteria can can affect human health, um, and they multiply to enormous numbers. They can multiply very quickly. Their generation time can be minutes or hours to minutes. They can reach very high numbers, and then they can release toxins. Um, they can elicit a human response, and the infl- inflammation is a is a human immune response. The human human trying to get rid of this thing, but in the process, it uh, you know makes people very sick. Bill said changes to things like deer and mouse populations cause tick density to fluctuate from year to year, but long-term trends like human intervention and climate change make the current levels a relatively recent phenomenon. People have had Lyme disease in Vermont for you know decades, but a hundred years ago. No, that wasn't a problem. So it's newish, but it's also not going anywhere. There's ways to treat Lyme and there's ways to prevent exposure to ticks, but short of, you know, wiping out the tick population entirely, it's one of those things that's just around. Yeah. You talked to some people about dealing with tick-borne illnesses. What did you hear from them? It's hard because ticks are tiny when they're nymphs and, you know, these smaller stages until they're adults. It can be really hard to see a tick on you. So it's not it's not like people are getting bitten by ticks and then, you know, later developing symptoms and thinking, oh, I might have Lyme. It's no one that I've talked to, almost no one, has said like, oh, I knew that it could be Lyme because I got bitten. Like no one knows they were bitten because ticks are just, they're small. They're so small. So really what it is, is people start getting these symptoms that are just unexplainable. So Lyme has this kind of one classic symptom. It's a bullseye rash. That's like the gold standard. You have a bullseye rash. You and have that's Lyme just disease. what it sounds like. It's a thing on your skin that looks like, like a, a bullseye. bullseye, like the symbol for target. Okay. The problem is only like seventy or eighty percent of people with Lyme actually get a bullseye rash. So then there's this still pretty huge chunk of people who never get that, but they're getting like dozens of other symptoms, and the symptoms can be like really pretty bad, but it's hard because they're, they're not getting diagnosed with Lyme right away. I know one medical practitioner who says when a farmer takes the time to come in during the season, you know something is wrong. Hmm. Like <laughs> Farmers just like, oh, I cut my arm off in a combine. Oh, well, I'll stick it on with duct tape and keep on going, right? So- Rachel said the first time she showed symptoms, she thought it was exhaustion. I was at a farmer's market and I went off to do something, probably to use a bathroom. And then I never showed up. And my husband was frantically looking for me at some point and found me on the grass at City Hall Park. And later on, it passed. He was trying to get me to talk and trying to get me to whatever, and I couldn't do anything. And later on, I just got up and I thought, wow, I am really pushing it as a farmer. Hmm. It was like, oh, my joints really hurt, so I must suddenly have aged, or I'm a farmer, I abuse my body, or I'm so exhausted, I'm just, I'm doing too much, I'm trying to do too much. Uh, I didn't get enough sleep, but stuff never really added up. Lyme gets 
worse over time untreated, you can manifest in all these ways. You might start out having some joint pain and then you can get these really intense neurological symptoms. You get forgetful. You forget things that you've always known. You you just can't function normally. You get in children, there's these behavioral problems. They think that there's, you know, all of these things that might be wrong with you. Like you might sleep. Like I've talked to people who've been sleeping, you know, 20 hours a day, like their Lyme is so bad. It's hard for them to get these things and think it's Lyme because it's just, there's so many things that aren't how you'd think Lyme disease might be. Those symptoms that you named are all things that kind of could be associated with some other type of illness or just a general. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of illnesses or diseases that have really similar symptoms that also don't have definitive tests. Things like MS and ALS and all of these Alzheimer's, there's things that people get diagnosed with instead of Lyme because those things also don't have definitive tests. And just like Lyme isn't always definitive with the testing. So it can be really hard even once you're getting tested for things and going to the doctor, you can just assume that you have something, even if what you really have is Lyme. What did these folks tell you about the process for them of eventually getting diagnosed and and trying to treat their disease? So that's really kind of the crux of the story that I found was, you know, these people are like going in and they're really struggling to get a Lyme diagnosis. They Sometimes their friends, their family members are like, you have Lyme disease. Like I've had Lyme or my brother's had Lyme or my kid has Lyme. Like you have to get tested for Lyme. But then they're going to the doctors in Vermont and they're having a really hard time hearing that from a doctor, even if later down the line, they do find out that's exactly what they have. Ultimately for me, if I did not have an employee who went to the Cape for a family vacation and two weeks later got really, really sick. She tested positive and was feeling bad for a long time. But when she was well enough to come back to work, she said, Rachel, you know all those really strange things that have been going on for you for years? You know how you're always like, I wonder if there's... She's like, you have Lyme disease. So it was an employee who, having experienced Lyme disease, although acute early onset, came in and said, you really got to consider this. And I thought, I don't have Lyme disease. Like, I don't remember getting bitten by a tick. I never got a bullseye rash. I went through the normal denial that we are all trained to go through, that Lyme is very easy to diagnose and very obvious when it is not at all. There's these whole two completely different schools of thought on Lyme. So... There's one kind of recognized by the CDC and the Infectious Disease Society of America. They test for Lyme a very specific way, and they have these standards for Lyme, and that's kind of what doctors are really used to looking to. Like, doctors always look to the CDC when they're looking for, you know, symptoms and treatments and things for diseases. It's the gold standard. But then there's this, the International Lyme Disease Association, which is the group that's been focusing specifically on Lyme, is kind of saying, no, like, the CDC, like, they... They don't really have this one right. Like, there's these other tests that are better, they're more specific, and Lyme is a lot bigger and different of a problem than you guys maybe are realizing. I don't know another medical condition that is going through this. Some of the more similar ones are like what happened with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome, where there were these conditions that for a long time doctors were told it's not real. It's a hypochondriacal condition mostly that women have because women aren't taken seriously. And now those have been found to have scientific bases behind them. But that's, that's where the similarities end because 
there's so much research coming out of right now out of Stanford, Johns Hopkins, Harvard, Columbia, Northeastern University, I'm sure I'm Duke University, how tick-borne diseases, Lyme in particular, can absolutely be chronic. And the word being used is persistent. It's a persistent bacteria that knows how to hide and evade antibiotic treatment. But for some reason, the medical community won't go there. I feel like there are a lot of really well-meaning medical professionals who look to the people that are supposed to be setting the standards and telling them how to treat and diagnose diseases, and they're being misled. There's a whole group of people who really, really buy into that, and that's how they've gotten help, and that's how they've gotten finally better from Lyme is using these other standards and going to doctors and naturopaths a lot of the times that are more tuned into Lyme specifically. But when you go to UVM Medical Center or just any really primary care provider in Vermont, they're more used to listening to the CDC and they might not be plugged into that. You talk to some of those doctors who have a a degree of skepticism about Lyme. What did they tell you? They think that people who kind of focus on Lyme specifically and these other tests that the Lyme Disease Society really prefers, they think that those tests are giving false positives. They think that that's kind of dangerous as a practice, and they they think that their tests that are kind of slower and you can't quite get a diagnosis as fast and you can't, you can't start treatment as quickly. You can't start treatment as quickly, which can also be really dangerous. They're saying they're better and more accurate. Gotcha. And so there's this rift in the medical community right now, and that just leaves these patients kind of in limbo. Yeah. These patients, a lot of them feel like they have to shop around to get treatment. You have to do research. And uh, I think, thank God for Front Porch Forum, I just put out there like, uh, I'm looking for a Lyme literate medical doctor in the state of Vermont. And luckily, there are other people in Heinsburg who've been through this. And they all let me know that there was one doctor who was treating, who had disappeared from practice because the medical boards were after him for treating Lyme disease. I've talked to so many people that have either gone to these naturopaths or these, you know, acupuncturists doing a whole bunch of different things, or a lot of time going out of state. People are going to New York, D.C. They're going all over the place to find the treatment that works for their Lyme because they're feeling like their doctors in Vermont just aren't listening to them. I've been doing some herbal therapies. There's a lot of things you can do holistically through diet, and I do a lot of those things. And basically, I've told myself, I'm going to wait in a holding pattern until we're seeing research that's actually moving this forward. So I've been kind of hoping to not fall behind the progress I've made and to not get too sick and wait for them to figure some stuff out and then to get back in there and try new treatments. Where does that leave your average everyday Vermonter who wants to go outside, enjoy the weather, enjoy the outdoors, but also doesn't really want to enter this um, this world where there's some really challenging illnesses to deal with and a medical community that's not quite clear on what to do about it. Well, the one thing about ticks is they have seasons where they're high. It's high right now because it's time season. And then again, later in the fall, it'll be, you know, the adult season. So those are times to watch out for. But kind of in that middle of the summer, maybe later July and August, the ticks really aren't so bad. So that's one highlight. And also, there's just a lot that you can do to prevent yourself from getting tick bite. If you get a tick bite and the tick detaches within the first 
24 hours, you're usually set. You usually don't really have a chance of getting Lyme. So if you can check for ticks after you go outside, if you get bitten, that's not something to worry about if you find it right away. And if you take a shower, that can get rid of all the ticks. Put your clothes, even if they're not wet, just in the dryer right after you get in from outside. That stops things. And, you know, just normal stuff like wearing long pants, treating your stuff with tick repellent. So there's hope. Yeah. It's not this big boogie monster, but it is scary. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Ellie. Yeah. Thank you. You can find Ellie's reporting on ticks and Lyme disease at vtdigger.org. You're listening to The Deeper Dig. Every week we go deep on one key story that we've been following. Look for new episodes every Friday at vtdigger.org or search for The Deeper Dig and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend or colleague to check it out. We used music this week by Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. Have a nice weekend.